You're listening to the Sioux Falls Startup Stories Podcast. On this episode of the Sioux Falls Startup Stories Podcast, we're talking with Paul Tenhaken. If you've been in the vicinity of Sioux Falls at all, you've heard of his name. He's the co-founder of a very successful marketing agency called ClickRain. But even more recently, Paul is the current candidate in an upcoming mayoral race for Sioux Falls. I'm pretty excited about this episode because we dive into the early days of ClickRain, but also how those days are starkly similar to his current mayoral bid. Um, started ClickRain in 2008, uh, kind of under the under the guise, and guise is the wrong word, but the, you know, the, the umbrella of being what we called an online marketing firm then. Uh, that was you know pre-Facebook days, and, and uh, our first paying client was we created a MySpace page for a, a political candidate, actually. And so I kind of saw what was happening with the digital world and this, the need for a dedicated digital marketing company, and uh, at least in this region. So that was the, the impetus behind starting ClickRain. And then fast forward to today, um, company will be 10 years old in January, this coming January. Uh, 36 employees will do uh, all about five and a half million in revenue this year. We're on the Inc. 5000 list of America's fastest growing companies the last five years in a row. And uh, it's been a ride, man. For the record, this episode was recorded back in late October of 2017. So ClickRain officially turned 10 years old a few months ago in January of 2018. I know it took me a little bit of time to get these released, but hey, it's better late than never, right? Anyway, Paul gives a glimpse as to where ClickRain is today, but I wanted to know what drove an educated man with a successful career in marketing to start his own business. You know, two things. One was my own doing, and one was definitely not my own doing. One was the, I was the director of marketing at this healthcare uh, organization and in 2007, 2008, we were still spending a ton of money on traditional mediums, TV, billboard, radio, newspaper. And we, we spent millions of dollars in those mediums. And I saw, you know, if we were trying to reach young people or, or younger people, we were, you know, trying to take out billboards and strategic locations of where young people might go. And I was just like, guys, there's more targeted ways to do this. We have to do more with, with search and, and with you know, embracing at this at this point in time, it was MySpace and Twitter really were the only Twitter, uh, social networks, and and we just couldn't seem to shift our mentality to think digitally. Uh, nor could some of the agency partners we were working with, and so that was kind of frustrating to me. And so I kind of I saw this trend growing, and I said, Hey, this is not just a a blip on the radar. This is a trend in how marketing is going to be done. And so I kind of had this burning to start this company, but didn't have, like most entrepreneurs, have the, uh, the stones to jump off and, and, and do my own thing. And then I was approached by some folks who wanted to start a, a, web, uh, a web development company, really, um, and they wanted me to run it because they, they needed this company without getting all the details. They needed a web company to facilitate some back-end development work they needed done, and they wanted to start their own company. And so... Um, that's how it started. It started with kind of me seeing the need and then very timely some other folks saying, hey, would you be willing to start this company to facilitate some back-end web development needs that we have? And that was the birth of ClickRain. Well, okay, that sounds easy enough. But quitting a full-time job to just launch a company is easier said than done. 
What's going through Paul's head as he works through this major decision? A lot of things, man. I, you know, I had a, I had a two-year-old at that time. I had a mortgage, a car payment. Um, I had health insurance. I had stakes were really high, and I was I was kind of in a really good spot in terms of where I was positioned in in the organization. In terms of you know, I had a couple you know rungs up the ladder that I had moved, and and I was kind of excited about the future of the organization, and so. For all intents and purposes, it was kind of a um, a bad time to be leaving there. But you know, I sat down with my wife and we just said, "Hey, what's the worst case scenario here? Is we jump, we do this uh, for the next six to twelve months, we don't make a red cent from this venture. Um, we have to sell our house, we have to move into an apartment, we still got each other, we still got our daughter." Um, I could live with all those scenarios and so that's that was ultimately it took us both coming to the point of hey we can we can deal with this risk Um, and I'm not a real risk averse guy I I don't mind taking risks and so uh, I think that's what holds most people back is the fear of what if this doesn't work out what if this doesn't work out and you got to get past that to think about what if it does work out you know what if this thing really works It was this, what's the worst case scenario that changed everything for me? It's stuck with me ever since the day I first talked to Paul and he shared this perspective. Really, what's the worst thing that can happen? Honestly, at the end of the worst possible scenario, it's going to be okay. And what if this thing really does work? Over the years, Clickring grew and developed into what many would call a quote-unquote successful business. At over $5.5 million in revenue, I'd say the company has done well in its decade of existence. But I always like to know, from the founder's perspective, what does success actually mean to them? Yeah, I mean, it's it's the big number. It's the million-dollar number. It's like when we get to a million in revenue. A million in revenue? That's got to be satisfying, right? Well, honestly, I think... This is an age-old story that you hear time and time again, but you get to a a goal, whether it's a financial goal or whatever, and it's very unfulfilling. And you're like, oh, this is it? I thought there'd be balloons falling from the sky and this would be a bigger deal, and it just was like, "Mm." it wasn't real satisfying, to be totally honest with you. And you realize real quickly that if you're driven and motivated by money and financial metrics and financial goals, those are really hollow goals, and so I found that for myself that when we hit when we hit this you know this revenue goal that we had said, I'm like man, so there we hit that. So what's the next goal? Ten million? What's the next goal? Hundred million? You know, billion? I mean, where does it end? And it doesn't. And so you have to find purpose in something other than, at least for me, other than those financial metrics because those were just like I said, kind of hollow metrics for me that didn't fill my cup. Yeah. Find your purpose. Sounds like something you would see on a poster. But I think this is a really good perspective that any entrepreneur can put into good practice. Success isn't necessarily financially driven. There has to be a purpose behind what you're doing. But even with all the success of ClickRain, it didn't come without challenges and roadblocks. Yeah, so a few of them. The biggest one we already touched on, which is getting to that, that point where you're, you're going to jump. 
and you're like, all right, I've made the decision to jump. And that's what keeps 99% of entrepreneurs from going is they want to keep their eight to five job because that's an income and that's benefits. And they want to just like moonlight and do web development on the side. And, and, and that's not entrepreneurship. That's not, doesn't take bravery to do that because that's a very safe route. And that's at some point, even if that moonlighting job starts to get busier and busier and busier, you got a choice to make. And are you going to just cut the cord with the employer and, and do this thing, create a business plan and build a scalable business? Or is, is that fear going to overcome the opportunity and you're going to stay there? And so that's the, that was the hardest thing. So once that was overcome, then the challenges were, you know, things that every small business startup, re, re, you know, can relate to, which is financing. How are you going to get money? You know, you have to, at least for us, when we were starting out, I assumed six months of, of not making a cent in revenue. So that was kind of the runway that we tried to figure out. Was, okay, how for the next six months can we operate this business, assuming we're going to get no income? Um, so figuring out how can we get some financing. Um, and in our case, we just, we just bootstrapped it and, you know, didn't take an owner salary and stuff like that. Um, second thing was really revolving around one of the most overlooked things, in my opinion, which is the naming and the branding of the company. And I just met with a guy yesterday who is starting a business, and he's got a vision for his business to be nationwide. It's a very bold vision, huge vision. But the name of the business is his name. And I said, well, if you get hit by a bus, that business is done. So you got to be, be thinking about how do you create a scale, and that works in some cases. It works for Tony Robbins. It's a national, international, multi-million dollar brand based on his name, and it worked there. So it's not like it can't work, but it's that's a very hard, hard route to go. You know, Gary Vee, Tony Robbins, those sorts of people. So how do you create a brand or a name that is memorable, that's spellable, that's unique, that says what you do, but also that's transferable and doesn't put all the equity in a person, you know, Paul Tenhaken marketing, for instance. And, and so coming up with the brand is a, was a very big challenge early on. We kind of went through a lot of iterations of what our company name was going to be. And then the, the third thing, and probably the most important decision we ever made as a company, was hiring that first employee. Typically, you wait too long to do that because you maybe have 20 hours of work that need to be done. So let's say you're an entrepreneur, you're working 50 hours a week, and there's another 20 hours that could be done. Well, that's 70 hours a week of work that this company needs done by people. And you're one person, so you have a decision. Do I fry myself and my family and my health and everything burning the candle from both ends? Or do I hire this person who I really only have 20 hours a week for? But what does that 20 hours a week free up for me? So now I'm only putting in 50 hours a week into that stuff. So it gives me another, some additional time to have better work-life balance or to put a little more time into business development or whatever it is. And those for early employees pay for themselves in, you know, trifold if, if you do it right. Um, but it's just very hard expense to swallow when you're starting a company is you just look at them as expense and overhead and you got to think of them as this is an investment in my life and my business and not just an expense. Today's podcast is brought to you by Web Laboratory. 
The average business owner spends up to 100 hours putting together their company website. Imagine 100 hours of new sales, new product research, customer experience, even 100 hours of Netflix. The possibilities are endless. But even more frustrating than the time that goes into building a website is the frustration of it not converting your visitors to customers. Web Laboratory meets the needs of small business owners to provide an easy, affordable, custom solution for your website. We listen to your needs and evaluate your budget to find a solution that works for you. Now you can get back to what you really want to do, run your business, or watch Netflix if that's your thing. Visit us online at weblaboratory.us. Yeah, we know it's on a .com, weblaboratory.us. Or find us on Facebook at We Are Web Laboratory. To me, hiring employees has got to be one of the most gut-wrenching moves a founder can make. I mean, being responsible for someone else's livelihood is something to be taken very seriously. But that opens another door completely. Imposter syndrome. The idea of, who am I to be in charge of someone else's paycheck? Or more so, who am I to sell the services of this company to a multi-million dollar organization? But a guy like Paul, he probably isn't infected by imposter syndrome. Oh, all the time, all the time, and I'm honestly experiencing it more today as a mayoral candidate for the city than I probably experienced it growing up because people, you know, you question yourself and your abilities. Am I, am I the right person to lead a $450 million budget and 1,200 employee organization like the city of Sioux Falls with 180,000 residents? And, and you question yourself. And if you're not questioning yourself, then Confidence is good, but there's, there's a point where it falls over into bravado. And I think you always have to be questioning yourself, say, how can I get better? What can I be doing better to make myself more skilled and more um, qualified for whatever endeavor I am? But I remember very early on when ClickRane was one employee, um, we were in a, 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 an office. I was on 10 by 12. It was a small room. There's no windows in it. We had a sign behind the desk. I was proud as a peacock of this office. And a guy walks in who was a very, a guy I respected very much in the city um, and a very successful businessman. And he, he, was in the, he was in our building for some other reason. He saw my office, he poked his head in. And he said, oh, pretty humble beginnings, huh? He said to me. And it really made me question if I was, if I was doing the right thing. Because it was almost, it was a little bit of a jab in some ways. Like, do you know what you're doing? And I remember that moment so vividly because it gave me the motivation and the determination to say, yeah, I know what I'm doing. And yeah, this is humble beginnings. And yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you that I'm not over my skis on this thing. I know what I'm doing. I'm going to build this thing. Um, I think about that moment often. And, and only through you know, God's help and growing the business did we get to this point. Well, it's refreshing to know that even Paul Tenhagen isn't immune to imposter syndrome, even more so now in his bid for mayor. But again, I love his perspective here, to always be questioning yourself. Always ask how you can improve at this or at that, to make sure that you are truly the right person for the job. I wanted to contrast the early days of starting Clickering to where he's at now. Keep in mind, this recording was back in late October. Paul had just announced his mayoral candidacy just a few months ago. It's still early in the race, and the night is young. 
Yeah, it's, it's eerily similar to starting a company. You know, I am an employee of one right now. You know, I have a campaign manager and some consultants and stuff, but it's my company, you know, so to speak. And the product is, instead of uh, websites and MySpace pages, you know, in 08, the product is a vision for the city and a vision for a new generation of leadership for our city. And so you're selling that, just like you're selling whatever you're selling. You know, you're maintaining your own social media channels. You're doing your own email drops. You're, you're out hustling, meeting with people, trying to sell them on a vision. And um, so that, that hustle from 10 years ago that I had to tap into to grow ClickRain is the exact same hustle I'm having to use right now you know, in running for office. And so people ask me every day, like, hey, how's it going? How's the campaign going? I say, man, it's busy. And it feels like I'm just, I'm starting a company over again. I mean, I'm filing paperwork, I'm getting bank accounts set up, I'm doing deposits, I'm doing everything, which I did, you know, the first six months of ClickRain. You're the accountant, the janitor, the CEO, you know, the marketing person. Um, and honestly, I've missed that. I've, I really enjoy, um, kind of the, the, the startup world. It feels like a startup again, but it's a, you know, a political startup. Yeah. Eerily similar, Paul says, but surely it's not identical. You know, I think that the difference is you, you know what you don't know. I mean, when, you've, when you start a company and there's a, there's a pro and a con to just being overly naive to the process and overly naive to what it entails and overly naive to the hours it's going to take and the work it's going to take. And well, I, I kind of know that now. And so I'm being really intentional about carving out time for my kids and carving out time for my wife. And, and people, you know, will look at you if they see on a Saturday and, and you're with your kids at something and like, oh, that guy should be out campaigning or he should be out knocking on doors or whatever. It's like, yeah, maybe. But I have a family here of three young kids and I'm a husband and I'm active in my church and, and, that world, political world, is not going to define me. That's not my number one priority. It's faith, family, work is my priorities. And in this case, work is, is campaigning to be a mayor. And so those priorities will always stay that way. And some, most people can appreciate that, some can. So, so I guess that's the things I've learned the most is how to strike that balance in starting up a business, in this case, starting up a campaign. Whether you're a mayoral candidate or working on starting a company, we can all start to heed this advice. Disconnect from time to time, but that's not easy either. When you're spending so much time developing a brand or catering to clients or whatever it is you're doing to grow and scale the company, it seems as if relationships always take a hit. But Paul's got some solid advice here. And personally, it's advice that I need to hear more than ever. No, it's, it's always a struggle. And in fact, it's a real struggle right now, to be honest with you. <laughs> I'm not doing a real good job with it right now because I find my face buried in my phone a lot right now with calls and texts and emails and messages I'm getting about meetings and political stuff that I need to know about and uh, people that want to meet for podcasts and you know, everything. So, so um, I'm trying to get a lot better with taking the connected devices in my life and putting them aside and saying, hey, I can go to the park with my kids and I don't need my phone in my pocket. My phone can stay at my house and I can be without it for a whole hour 
And I know that sounds really stupid, but we start to get the shakes a little bit. You know, if you haven't been in touch with your phone for now, it's like, oh, what if my wife has a heart attack? Or what if my dad has a car accident? Or how are they going to get a hold of me and all this stuff? And it's like, I don't know, how they do it 30 years ago? You know, we'll do it the same way they did it then. So I'm trying to get a lot better about detaching myself. And I'm not, I got a long ways to go, but I'm at least being more conscious about it. I wanted to transition back to learn some more about ClickRain's beginnings. I've heard Paul share the story before, and it struck me so heavily. I asked him to share it on the podcast. It's about the time when ClickRain nearly shut its doors. Yeah, uh, we did actually. It was probably, man, it was probably about a year into the business. Had just brought on, uh, I had three employees at the time, so there's four of us. And uh, didn't have enough money to make payroll. And so my wife and I were out to lunch at the Phillips Avenue Diner downtown. And I remember sitting across from her and I was crying. <laughs> and I'm like, honey, I don't think I can make payroll this Friday. And so one, don't expect on us to get paid. So whatever we have to do with our bills, we gotta figure that out. And two, I don't, you know, I don't know how much longer I can do this because I got a you know guy with six kids and I got another employee with two kids and the stress was overwhelming right at that point in time and that was like a Wednesday, Thursday, mail comes we got a check from a client that we had just billed them like two days earlier and they must have just they turned it around like lightning quick and I was able to run to the bank and deposit that and hit payroll. We never had that again. So we never had that close of a call. But I remember that very clearly, and I used that to kind of drive me and motivate me to say, one, how do we get into this situation where we're this dangerously close to, to this, and how are we going to avoid that in the future? And so kind of learn some things from that. And we made it. They got paid. Bread was on the table, and away we went. Man, that's such a cool and powerful story. But he didn't go at this company alone. I asked Paul about his supporters and his mentors. You know, uh, I did, I had one guy specifically, he was one of my early uh, partners early on, was very supportive of me, very supportive of helping build the culture that we built here, um, very big on investing in people, investing in yourself, um, spiritual mentor to me, and he, he was really critical, it was a really critical role he played at an important time in the life cycle of the company because I was new to this and you know being an entrepreneur is is hard when you've used, been used to working for someone you have that luxury of saying you know what I'm just gonna quit I'm gonna quit my job take two weeks notice you have two weeks notice and do something else well when you own a business you can't quit it you don't have a way to quit even if you're hating it it's very hard to quit it and it's, these, it's this, these shackles that you have. And some people think it's very freeing to be an entrepreneur in some ways. The, the exact opposite is true, where you're stuck and you got grinded out whether you like it or not because you made your bed, now you got to sleep in it. And, um, and so without the right mentors and advisors around you, that can be really, really hard. Having a mentor or someone to pour into you during the trying times of starting a business is something I personally greatly believe in. Entrepreneurship is lonely and a support system can help, especially when you make mistakes and you feel like you're failing. Tons of failures, man. Um, 
I guess one that sticks out to me when you right when you say that is we had a project once that we were bidding for and this was probably year three or four of the company and we went into this bid for this project this pitch very confidently thought we had it and knew who we were pitching against and we were by far the, the most qualified at least in my opinion and we got a call from this company it was like hey you didn't get this work it was, it was a sizable project for us uh, and I was like we man really I like I, I honestly can't believe it and they're like I'm gonna give you some advice they're like not once Paul did you ask for our business you went in there with with an expectation that this was yours your business to be had he didn't ask us once for the business and another firm just really they really told us hey we want to work with you they 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 made us feel special and ooh that was tough to hear yeah and and i was like man he was completely right the 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 bravado of 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 myself and of our company that time i just kicked in like yeah of course we're gonna get this and I share that story with my team all the time. It's like, no matter the project, no matter who you're talking with, you need to ask for people's business. You need to say, we want your business, we would appreciate your business, and we would love to work with you. And it's a lesson that's carried over into this campaign where I've realized that you need to ask for people's vote. You need to ask for their financial support. And not just assume you have it, but you need to, when you're talking with people, even people that are very close to you, say, hey, you know, I know we've been friends for many years, but you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask for your vote and also ask if you'd consider supporting me financially and know how much that would mean to me. Because this race is hard. It's fun, but it's hard, and I need your support, and it would mean the world to me. And when you ask people for that, it's very different than just assuming, yeah, I'm going to get their support. They're my buddy. I've worked with them forever. Or I've known them for forever. This part right here, ask for their business. This was actually a game changer for me and our web design business. Shortly after this interview, I was putting together a web proposal for a client. It was the largest project I had ever taken on to date, and I knew I had competition from a few larger agencies. So when I submitted the proposal, I simply called them up and I thanked them for the opportunity to work on this project. And in doing so, I was asking them to hire me. I made them feel special, and, and it worked. When I got the call that I was awarded the project, it sounded like a coyote was just given a birthday cake in the office. So Paul, if you're listening, thanks for the tip. It definitely pays to ask. As we wrapped up our conversation, Paul shared some more insights into the similarities of running for mayor and starting Click Rain. Humble beginnings, the hustle, and the effort it takes to get things going from literally nothing, and the meaning it carries when someone either hires his company for a project or even donates to his campaign fund. To end the conversation, I asked Paul if he's afraid of what's next, win or lose. Uh, honestly, I'm not, I'm not uh, real scared of the outcome of what's gonna happen with the election. And I say that just because, uh, first of all, we live in an unbelievable city. There's lots of opportunities in our city. There's lots of career options in our city. Um, I fully intend to win the mayoral race. You know, wouldn't be doing this if I didn't think I was going to win. I'm planning on winning, but if I don't, the 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 thought of losing does not scare me or deter me or like, oh my gosh, what would happen then? 
what would happen then is I'd have an amazing learning experience under my belt. I've met a ton of amazing people um, and I'll have a whole bunch of doors that I will have opened along the way. So if you look at the campaigning as the journey and not necessarily judging the success of it as the ballot box itself, you go into each day with a much um, more positive perspective. So like today, the campaigning is part of the journey. I mean, what I'm going to do today, the people I'm going to talk with today, this is fun. This is fun and not just a means to an end, um, but it's, it's the end itself. Each, each day of campaigning is part of the journey and I'm loving it. This perspective of the journey applies so well for business and entrepreneurship as well. Right. Don't judge it by the, the, the balance in the checking account because otherwise you find yourself, you know, you know, focused on metrics that it's one metric, the checking account should matter, but your marriage and the health of that should be a metric that you look at. Your philanthropic efforts, are you giving back to the community with time and money? You know, that should be a measure of it. The, are you having fun? Are you still physically healthy? Or is this causing you to get overweight and stressed out and tired? Um, and so you look at all these things to say, hey, this is how I'm going to measure if this is a success or not. And too often we as entrepreneurs look at the dollars. Did I get funding? Did I grow it? Did I scale it? Did I sell it? Those are good. Those are important. Those are one metric. Paul unpacks a ton of great advice here. It was seriously such an honor to dive into his story and hear about the complex issues he faced when starting ClickRain, as well as the stark similarities of exiting his company after nearly 10 years and moving into the political sector of running for mayor. I've seen Paul talk at various events, and regardless of your political beliefs, it's hard to deny that Paul is not only qualified, but passionate about what he does and why he does it. You can find Paul on Facebook with the handle P10Hagen or through his website, tenhagenformayor.com. There were many times where I would be in tears about it because I felt like, gosh, I can't do it all. And next week, Addie Graham Kramer from The Event Company.